games and gamers together now have the sheer magnitude to be a significant unifying force for the world. If I'm to choose between a greater and lesser evil, I'd rather not choose at all. You are almost a jibble sandwich. Did I ever tell you the definition of insanity? Check this out. Hello humans, what's going on? This is episode 339 of The Hungry Gamers. I'm your host, Jono Peck. Find me everywhere at Jono himself. And joining me all the way from the Flower Kingdom, swinging around New York City, it's Matt Tilby. You can find him everywhere at It's Tilby. How you doing, Matt? Very, very good, Jono. Yeah, I'm trying to find all those wonder seeds. It's been a bit of a... Bit of a hassle, but it's uh, it's been a, a fun week with, of course, some massive games um, having just been released previously when we did our last podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, how are you doing? It's, yeah. it's been a, a busy week. It's good. It feels good to be able to talk about like some new games, some big new <laughs> games too. Everyone's eating good this week. It's um, it's awesome. Like it, the kids just keep coming because. Alan Wake 2 just dropped like yesterday as of recording this and haven't had a chance to get into it yet, but it's also sitting around a similar kind of Metacritic or maybe even higher than Spider-Man 2. I think it was like 91 when you showed me or 90. Yeah, the I guess the aggregate scores that were sort of floating around uh, X or, or Twitter um, <laughs> yesterday when I showed you were uh, like solid tens and nines across the board um so very very impressive um and of course right around the corner from halloween so perfect timing for that but um it's just been it's so funny because we've had all of these amazing games this year like zelda starfield spider-man mario and combining that with sort of the the uncertainty around employment and sort of studios laying off people and all this sort of issue that's that's sort of come through it's such a a weird year for gaming mm. in general because we've had such quality mixed in with such i don't, I don't want to say tragedy because that's not the right word but just unhappiness to really. some people so, yeah it's it's tr- it's tragedy to those involved i'm sure but yeah you, you're absolutely right it's a year of up and ups and downs and you know we've got like the everything happening with like the economy and the cost of living and like things are crappy for a lot of people but if you've got enough money to play to to buy and play the games that are coming out yeah probably having a a good year at least in in your in sense of your escapism um, yeah absolutely so there's that Uh, and we all know you know we all need that escapism at the moment but yeah as you said even like even if maybe alan wake isn't your uh favorite game of the year it's definitely in that conversation just based on the criticism alone being so well received um and enough i I think it's enough to throw this out there as one of the great years in games like there's something for everyone and i I may have said this on previous episodes but uh boulders gate 3 diablo 4 they're not my jam but for some people it's like they're definitely their favorite game of the year if not one of their favorite games like you know of all time so even if you take that away from what i've been playing there's still been you know dead space re4 and spider-man and you know mario if i ever get around to playing it and just (laughs) tears of the kingdom and and just like hit after hit uh so 
whether you're a Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever you play, PC, there's something that you will have probably been obsessed with at one stage or another this year. Yeah, it's been a, a veritable smorgasbord of uh, of games of across all genres, really. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me, I think, this year that, you know, we've had a couple game like a couple years where a lot of the games would be sort of centered around the action or adventure or there'd be something that's horror or, you know, one particular genre would stick out more than most. It, like you said, there literally seems to be something for everyone, whether it is, you know, a Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate or, you know, that RPG style or it's Zelda or it's Starfield, you know, yeah. Forza Motorsport came out. There's something for racing fans and there's there's something for sports fans. EAFC came out and that's been, you know, somewhat decent. Everyone is getting a little piece of the gaming pie. And I, I think it, it really does show that, you know, obviously with that sort of turmoil in, in the in the gaming studio landscape, despite that, there is some very good work being put out there. And yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably say it's probably one of the top five years in games for, for at least a, a very long time, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, f- I feel like the only thing missing from that list is like a, you know, really good first person shooter. But we also still have like Modern Warfare 3 coming out soon, which... I'm not a big Call of Duty guy, so I don't know whether there's hype around it being up up there. But uh, certainly, if if you're been look- if you've been looking forward to Call of Duty, it's um again a very exciting time of the year. And speaking of the time of the year, it is the spooky season. You mentioned the uh, fortunate timing for Alan Wake. We aren't the uh, the spooky ghoulish, um, you know. When, it's not our brand. Tilby, as so no. much as it has been in the past for Brendan and Ali, they very much lean into that side of uh, the paranormal and, and the, the world at large. Uh, so we're not going to try and be something we're not. We're not going to do a whole episode around horror and Halloween and, and that kind of theme. But we are going to pay respect to the tradition of the Hungry Gamers around this time of year. And that's going to come into effect later in the show. Uh, but for now, we are going to... Talk a little bit about the week that was. See what I did there? Love it. Excellent. <laughs> Seam- seamless. Uh, we're going to talk about the week that was. The games we've been playing, which we've mentioned already. Let's start with a game we've both been playing, Spider-Man 2 from Insomniac. I think it has pipped uh, Starfield at the post, if that's the right term, to become my game of the year so far Ooh. i platinumed it last night uh, it's by no means a perfect creation it's got a lot of technical hiccups and flaws that have been discussed much over the social medias uh, including simple ai problems simple audio problems glitches that pause progress and require restarts at, at checkpoints but also the more hilarious um the cube white box the white cube. cube that's, <laughs> that's uh, I think been patched out and somebody I kind of did like a, a yeah, little F kind of for like rest in peace for it. but um, <laughs> there's been some some um, there were some funny re- re- uh, replies in that thread kind of saying like make it a suit <laughs> in the DLC <laughs> like pay respect to the cube that's uh that a lot of play or I, I guess a lot in the in the scheme of things uh, turned into this cube and were swinging around in the cube. I feel like a similar glitch happened in Miles Morales, if I'm not mistaken, where like an object from the world became 
the main character, whether it was like a garbage bin or something like random. Yeah, I think it was a like garbage that. bin, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, it may have been a lot more rare than, than what's happened with the White Cube. But, you know, all that stuff aside, what's been your experience with Spider-Man 2? We're not going to go into any spoilers, obviously, but let's give our kind of quick review. Yeah, like it's it's more of the same. It's been, you know, really, really good. I don't know how far in I am. Like it's probably been... I'd say 15, 20 hours in so far and That's pretty far. It's not yeah, a, a it, really long game. Yeah. It's it's not a hugely long game, but it is like and, and I think obviously a lot of the time you probably spend with the side missions and clearing out uh friendly neighborhood reports and things like that, but it's just more Spider-Man goodness. I think we all sort of expected it was going to be pretty good having played the first one and then Miles Morales, I think Swinging is always just going to be like so, so good, <laughs> and and just sort of the the subtle additions and tweaks they put into that with like the web wings, I think are very cool. Mm. I think those sorts of little little things that really just add on to what was already a really fun experience. I think the yeah. the only sort of complaint I would probably have is just more about the the sort of endless waves of enemies and just throwing as many enemies at you for the sake of doing so obviously you've got Mm. certain powers and things that can sort of do a fair bit of crowd control for that but i feel like they're just like okay let's just throw six regular people one big dude and a a robotic (laughs) cat or lion or whatever it is at you all at the same time good luck and and it it does get frustrating having to do that maybe three or four times in every single mission. Um, it's like you'd beat them all and then a, a, a tank rolls up and another 10 of them Second wave okay. and then a turret. And it's like, <laughs> come on. Like I I enjoy the, the moments where there's a little bit something new happening in, in, the, in the game mm-hmm. or you're going through a maze or you're, you know, all those sort of different... The stealth moments are, are probably like my favorite in the whole game. Really? really when, the, when you can, it, like... It, it it really is like the, the longer and longer this series is around, the more it evolves to become Arkham Asylum Spider-Man edition. Yeah, a lot of a lot of comparisons that I'd seen for like yeah. Spider-Man to the Arkham series, which I think is good. Yeah. I think when you said stealth, I was probably more thinking about the the Mary Jane. Oh no, not me, no, 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 no. Let's be very clear. No, not those. Although the, the Mary Jane sections, which we hoped were long gone are much better than they were the first time. She has Because you have a way of defending yourself. Yes, she has a weapon and there's she has like some pretty cool moments, especially later in the game that I won't go into, but like she she's much less I'm gonna hide and and be this completely different change of of pace to it it is still a change of pace, but it's it's a bit more it's a it's less of a hard pill to swallow, if that makes sense. Um and it's I don't know if those sections are shorter, but they feel much more necessary to the the narrative this time around. Um, when I'm talking about stealth, I'm talking about the skulking around uh, from above, setting traps, distractions, um, using the arsenal of web tools at your disposal to thin out a herd before you sound the alarm and have to fight like waves of enemies like what you said and the challenge of like okay can i get through every single one of these without being seen which will reduce my overall body count 
because they won't call in the reinforcements or whatever. And the, there's like the hunter areas, like bases that are probably the the most intense version of that because of the, the way those areas have been designed. So um, that's something to look forward to for those who haven't got that far. But yeah, I think if in terms of like what's changed from the first Spider-Man or even from Miles Morales, you've obviously got the two different Spider-Men. Um, it weirds me out that they call each other Spider-Man. Like, I don't know why. I just was like, it's it's like, it's, I guess it's like there being two Matts and you're just both calling each other Matt. But I, I would have hoped that one of them would be like Spidey and then the other one's Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think they're obviously just sort of like trying to ensure that they don't call each other Peter and Miles. So they don't, yeah. so civilians or enemies don't pick it's, up that scent. But it's a it, quality, yeah. Yeah, I can understand it. Spider-Man, yeah. And so you got the two of them, and they are very distinct. They have different abilities, different suits, you know, what you would expect. Um, but they have added a lot more to those uh, combat abilities in this game than what we had from Peter Parker Spider-Man in the first game, and even all the extra cool Venom abilities that were added in Miles Morales. So I've enjoyed that. There's obviously, like, the symbiote component to it as well that keeps things fresh, and the abilities just continue to evolve as the game goes through, which is tied into the narrative. Like there's actual reasons, not just like a a skill tree, although there are skill trees. Um, So I feel like combat has evolved since the previous games. Traversal, which we've talked about being an utter joy still is even better with the addition of some of that stuff like the wings but even just like little things like there's a slingshot move and there's a way to whip into like 90 degree angles around corners and just little little tweaks that you know are factored into the skill tree to make uh, swinging around that city a bit more um, kinetic and a bit more responsive and just to make you feel that extra bit more spider-man-y which is Awesome. Like there's a, there is a, a, an easy, like, I, don't, I can't remember the, the name of it, but an accessibility option that gives you easier swinging. Like, I guess that would be um, handy for people that don't want there to be any thought into it. But I do enjoy like, okay, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to swing between those two buildings and then I'm going to whip around here, wingsuit for a while. And then I'll do like a line jump and I'm going to spring off it and dive and i'm gonna yeah i enjoyed that aspect to it and trying to feel like yeah it's 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 an immersive spider-man experience yeah definitely i i think figuring out whether you're gonna sort of do low and and sort of you know get that arc going to sort of pick up speed or you sort of go high up and and get the big yeah jump in the (laughs) air and, and the flips and everything and um i like I did, I don't want to sort of spoil too much, but there is a suit that you unlock for uh, Peter Parker that sort of references the Spider Verse um, mm-hmm. movies, which is very good. And sort of There's if a you few get, of those, yeah. I'm, I'm, ju- I think I've only just unlocked the Into the Spider Verse suit for um, Miles Morales, and I feel like I will not be taking it off because like that. Are you playing it with the like the thirty frames or the twenty frames per second version? They. I think they put it on by default for both yeah. the Miles Morales one and the one that I had, I'm not going to really spoil yeah. for Peter Parker. But yeah, I think you can also add it to... You can like, turn it off, yeah. You can turn it on and off for like other suits as well, which yeah. is cool. But just the like, yeah, that that sort of customization aspect to the whole mm. game once again and like the amount of suits that are in this game is like 
a, a quite it's, a it's lot. Like seventy five or, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I was I was playing with my with my son Micah. He's uh, about to turn four, and we, we try to keep him away from violence and stuff. So I haven't been able to play any of the like story parts. But when I'm just swinging around. He, I give the control over to him. I've tried to teach him some of the basics of swinging, and some like he's figured out he figured out the slingshot move on his own. And he's always like, "I want to change suits." Like every like two, two minutes, he's like, "I want a different <laughs> suit. I want a blue one. I want a green one." So yeah, it, it's enough. It, there's enough variety to keep a toddler entertained. <laughs> it's it's a perfect game to do that, I guess. Apart from half the game, you know, actually yeah. fighting people, so that kind of ruins yeah. it for you there, but. I think the one thing that I particularly dislike about the game and they've somehow made it worse from the original game was uh, doing like the, the atom sort of splitting thing or taking out the, Oh, the sort the of science like, stuff, the science the shit. Like it, I just can't. The difference this it. time is that it's optional. And last time it was part of the main story progression when you went to Peter's lab this time, yes. apart from, apart from one mission, when you learn about how to do it, it's all like side content that you don't have to do. And I was surprised that that was in there too, just because I knew people didn't like it the first time around, but it's skippable and they made it skippable in the, even in the original version through the, the PS5 upgrade as well. So that they, they heard the criticism. Thank goodness for that. Yeah. Cause I was, I was struggling. I was like, if you take this out, it's going to get rid of this one. You don't want to do that. I was like, I just want to swing around and fight people. I don't want to be doing yeah. science in my action game. Yeah. I did get the platinum trophy last night at 1am. Uh, and I, so, well, yeah, so I've done everything and I can say that the, the side missions are mostly really enjoyable. There is repetition, obviously, um, and waves of enemies to, to deal with, but there's enough variety that you can go, okay, I've done a couple of those bases. I'm going to do something else. Like I'm going to chase one of these drones or I'm going to take some photos or whatever it is. So um, I feel like they did a great job of making all those uh, side missions feel like they're tied into the world rather than just tacked on extra for example in the first game there was a collectible that was peter parker backpacks and they all had some kind of collectible inside them that were relevant to his backstory and references to comic books and stuff great except why does he have 60 backpacks that he's stashed (laughs) all over the city that you have to go and find like it didn't really make sense in the world that this kid could go through this many backpacks uh, even if they're the cheapest backpack you can find, it's it's going to set you back. So if my brain goes that that direction, and in this game, it all made a lot of sense, and it all felt like a seamless part of bringing New York to life. And this rendition of New York is amazing. I have can't say enough about it. The fact that they've added uh, the eastern boroughs of uh, Queens and, and Brooklyn, it adds a, enough. Geo- uh, ge- geography to the world to feel like it's not just Manhattan for the third time, but with the extra, you know, the wingsuits and some of the, the the slipstream wind kind of tunnels that you can get caught into, it doesn't feel like it. Ha- it takes like a million years to get from one end to the other. If it does feel like that for whatever reason, the quick travel in this game is amazing. It's one of the coolest quick travel functions i've seen in in any game i know that's kind of a weird sentence but you can click on this map and as soon as you click you basically 
uh, not just in that uh, region, but the exact spot that you've clicked on in that region, it will take you there. So you can, you, it's not just certain points you can quick travel to, you can quick travel anywhere on the map, which makes it um, pretty unique as far as those systems go. Mm, yeah, like I've I've not had to use it yet. I think it it's it's good that it's there. It unlocks, yeah. Yeah, it's good that it's there, and obviously you have to do a little bit of um, you know work in each sort of borough or, or sector to unlock that for that section. But I'm one of those people who's like, I could do it, but I'm just having too much fun swinging yeah. around, <laughs> pulling out the wings, and and just sort of yeah. doing it the old fashioned way. Like I don't know. It's when you see that... three thousand meters, and you're like, mm, maybe I'll just quick do a quickie. No, no, I'm I'm definitely like get the get me, there. Get me the, you know let's 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 have do a some, bit of fun with this. Do some side missions on the way, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like let's see what's let what's the, going through there and, and let knock the ADHD that down. just like take over. Yeah, absolutely. Did you uh, did you get the home run achievement? Because that was one of my favorites. I did. Yeah, I I rounded the bases for that one. <laughs> um, we could probably talk about Spider Man all day. There's other stuff to get into, obviously. But uh, the last word, I guess. Um, I might just say about the story. It's uh, uh, you know having finished it, it's very impactful, um, much like the games prior. I don't know if it's going to resonate with me as much as the first game, but both Miles and Peter have their own um, things that they're dealing with. It's handled really well. The balance between using the two of them is never really disjointed to me. It, um, they've done a really great job, and the performances are, are fantastic. Uh, and it's not a perfect story by any means. It's a Marvel superhero story, very much. But um, if you have enjoyed other Spider-Man or even Batman Arkham games, I would say this is one to jump into. You can go straight to this if you haven't played Spider-Man or Miles Morales. There's a great catch-up option before you begin. It's not recommended because those games are also excellent, but if for whatever reason you find yourself with a chance to, to play this one straight off the bat, then it's always an option um, and can't recommend this game highly enough. I'm sure that if we end up doing any Game of the Year discussions uh, with Hungry Gamers later this year, it will uh, it will be definitely coming up. Yeah, I couldn't um, agree yeah. more, like 100%. I think it's it's got its flaws and, and it's, you know, it'll always be compared to the the first you know mm. couple of games that Insomniac did for it. But I think yeah. just the quality of life, things that they've added to it and just sort of those subtle changes makes it just that slight step ahead. I think it's definitely yeah. well worth it sort of like what 90, 91 that it's getting on Metacritic. And yeah, it will obviously be in, in the conversation for game of the year and, and well worth it for sure. Yeah. Oh, and I should just throw in there as well, the portrayal of, the main villains in this game is also like really cool and something I haven't seen in other portrayals of those villains, which I'm not mentioning them just in case some people want to go in completely blind. Uh, Matt Tilby, tell me about Mario Wonder. I haven't got it, but you've been enjoying it. Mario Wonder is possibly the weirdest Mario game I think I've ever played. Like I'm, I'm probably only maybe you know four or five hours into it myself, having spent up most of that time, you know, playing Spider Man. I think, or sort of, because I, you know, it's just, it's so. Is this weird, weird. good or weird bad? <laughs> weird good. Yeah. It's weird in just the ways that it's it's changing the 
the expected norms of what a 2D Mario game should be. And I think like mm. that's a testament to Nintendo for breathing new life into, you know, a, a, an IP that's been hanging around for, for quite a while. And it, it, it's probably, I'd say, the weirdest game since Odyssey. And even then, like it probably ramps that mm-hmm. up quite a bit. Uh, but like it, it just does such a, a brilliant job of, of doing new things in, in, a, in a very sort of old format. And I think it's just, uh, it's hard to say because like there's so many things that are going into it, trying to find, you know, the, the, the seeds and, and sort of getting the elephant power up, which is wild by the way, but <laughs> it, it's just very much a refreshing experience for Mario going forward. Yeah, that's cool. I've only really seen like I, I I haven't seen much of it at all. So I did go and check out like the IGN review by Ryan McCaffrey and some of the effects and like unique aspects to each level. I guess it's called like the is it the Wonder Seed that you, that yes. you find? Yeah, the the different variety of gameplay mechanics that each one of those seems to introduce in every level um, is really far out there and from everything I've heard just makes this game quite weird and unforgettable in, in a, in a good way. Um, there is definitely weird, bad as well as weird, good, but this seems to be on the good side and doing really well. Both of the games we're talking about have been huge successes. Spider-Man sold more than two and a half million copies within its first 24 hours. And that is apparently a record for a PlayStation first party game. And then Nintendo said that Super Mario Bros. Wonder is the fastest selling Mario game ever in Europe. So I don't know if that's because Europe got the figures out there sooner than the others or if it's maybe lagging slightly behind some of the other games. But either way you look at it, it's um, got to be a pretty good week for PlayStation and Nintendo. Yeah, it, it's so weird because like, Wonder was only announced maybe like a what two months before it was released, and they had to like get that thing out the door, and you only saw a little bit of marketing for it, and then yeah, you see that it's the fastest selling Super Mario game in Europe, and that's like that's no small feat. <laughs> so it's it's very cool to see that people are, are picking up what you know Nintendo is putting down for it. Um, but really, I think we all sort of expected when, especially when we were sort of talking about it last week, uh, when we recorded on the day it came out, like mm. we're obviously expecting it to be Spider-Man number one and Mario number two. And it pretty much was, uh, because there really wasn't too much else coming out on that particular week, but it's fully warranted. Both games are doing such great things for their, uh, their respective consoles. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keen to play more, uh, more wonder when I get the chance. Very good. I don't know if I'm going to... I think I will play it at some stage. I might wait until my kid's old enough for a 2D platformer to really kind of get something out of it. At the moment, like I've, when he broke his leg recently, we started playing Odyssey and it was very much... He very quickly was like, you do it. Like, couldn't handle the the control scheme. Like, learning to run around in a 3D space is a new thing for him. But I think that the, the 2D will probably be a better introduction. That's what I was going to say. Is like I, f- I feel like the very simple like left to right 2D aspect yeah. of, of Wonder would have been more easier than, say, like him going through, what, like 
20 minutes half an hour of spider-man every day so but <laughs> well it's... yeah in spider-man you can just kind of hold down the the swing and not really steer around so much yeah that's yeah. a good point kids are quick learners so we'll we'll see what what sticks and we can move on to the news news and notes from around the internet presented by audio technica so mr tilby the first topic this week is titled, What a Thrill. We've got Snake Eater in UE5. Konami has unveiled the first official in-game footage of Metal Gear Solid Delta, Snake Eater, this week after revealing the game through a cinematic trailer at a PlayStation showcase in May. Konami has shown off the remake's impressive visuals made possible in Unreal Engine 5. And they did it at an Xbox event, so they're clearly not showing any favoritism what was your reaction? This is just a kind of a quick little acknowledgement of a game that we're excited about. What did you think of seeing this, uh, you know, slice of gameplay that stands separate from the cinematic footage we'd already known about? I think the first time I saw it, I was like, this is something that Jono in, like immediately needs to see because <laughs> I knew I knew that you were a big uh, Metal Gear Solid person. But looking at the footage, like it looks beautiful. And I think... I think everyone sort of seeing that it was running in Unreal 5 is a, is a sign that, you know, they're not taking any sort of backward steps with this. They want to give it the sort of love and, and respect that mm. this this game deserves. Obviously, one of the best of the Metal Gear Solid series, perhaps one of the, you know, best games of the 2000s, you could probably even yeah. argue. But That's fair. It, it looks superb. I think, obviously, very early days for just the the game in general like i'm not sure did they say when they're gonna release this game i don't like, think so no i don't think we got any substantial news out of it mm, yeah because I, I would say it'd be a little bit uh, before we get anything from that but yeah all signs seem to be pointing to something really good I'd, I'd like to see like actual sort of fully fully fleshed out trailer uh sometime soon but it is a, a very good sign for for those metal gear solid fans looking to you know, rummage around in a cardboard box in the middle of the jungle. Mm. So that uh, should be good. Yeah, I did get um, uh, Metal Gear Solid Five vibes from some of the just like the movements yes. of Snake. So I felt like, okay, that they've kept true to the way that that character moves and, and looks. And um, yeah, just seeing this game with the realism that you can get through um, Unreal Engine 5, it's very cool. I, I was very happy, very impressed with it uh, i know some people out there in the world as as always there's people that will complain about anything and there's some criticism that's kind of lost the heart of the original game that the color palette's off that this and that but you know it's it, it's a realism like unreal engine does realism amazingly well and that's what they're going for um if you're going to update a game that's 20 years old i don't know what else you'd really want especially something that's as cinematic as metal gear um if kojima could have made it look like this when the game came out i'm sure it probably would have looked like this because he's kind of obsessed with um, cinema so there's that to it i know that it's you know the lack of kojima is probably still lingering over this regardless but i think that you know we've seen enough that we can be excited that it's not uh a half-baked measure they're at least as you said going um all out with with the visuals it's not just 
as we've seen with the HD Metal Gear collection this week, um, a, a a a rusty coat of paint over something that's that's uh, already quite rusted in in the uh, visuals of the old Metal Gear games. That kind of turned me off. I, I was a little bit excited about like checking out those games, but the reception of HD collection has turned me off doing that until at least some kind of major sale, just so I can kind of play Metal Gear with trophies one day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think we sort of um, referenced the Mario 3D All-Stars pack that came out in 2020 as a very similar sort of experience mm. where we're getting these was that broken from... though I, I don't think <laughs> it was this seems broken. broken yeah i don't think it was broken i think it was more just the fact that it's like we've put three games from yesteryear on a rom and given it to people yeah. Yeah. we expect you to pay full price for that which is yeah. not great uh i feel like it's a very similar sort of thing trying to sort of port these older games into a new new console and sort of try and get them to relive that nostalgia in a way that doesn't really work or, or or feel you know particularly smooth and it hasn't really worked so i think it, it's it's a it's been a weird week for fans of uh of metal gear solid that's for sure yeah you, you really hope eventually these it's like these are small studios that can't afford to do it right like you look at um the the grand theft auto collection that came out really yeah. half-baked and uh compare that to say the tony hawk remake that was the same game effectively with a fresh coat of paint and some new songs and you know just a little a few extra um gameplay twists that made it feel like okay this is like an all-time remake it, you know um you don't have to go full resident evil 2 on it but you can at least try a little bit and not have it become a joke or just something that people will buy because they'll buy anything that's got that written on it, the name of the game written on it. Okay, you know, Red Dead Redemption, sure, I'll buy that again. Or you can just put that little bit of extra polish on it and just the the difference it makes to the reputation of that publisher, I think, is significant. So it's um, disappointing that they have done it in this way where there is, you know, menus that are missing from certain ports and there's like widescreen issues that for a game that wasn't designed in widescreen like they just haven't thought of those little things and this isn't even the news item so we were going on and on about it but uh, <laughs> at least at least at least snake eater delta is not the same way inclined to they're, they're if this is the test bed for what they can do with that extra bit of effort, then I hope that it's applied to other games in the future. Uh, moving yeah, on, another, well, this one, hopefully this one's a bit of a quicker item because we've got a big uh, bit of news coming out later. April 12, 2024, the day the bombs drop. Of course, we're referencing Amazon Studios' Fallout TV series, which is premiering on April 12, 2024. The show's official account posted the date on social media this week. Following a teaser that was shown behind closed doors at Gamescom a bit earlier this year. So, what do we know so far about the Fallout series? It's taking place in Los Angeles. It's focusing on Vault 33, which we still don't really know much about, but I'm sure it won't be long before we get like an actual trailer. Uh, we do know that it features a very talented cast of actors who have a lot of experience on TV, including. Walton Goggins, who people might know from 
The Shield, Justified, Sons of Anarchy, Kyle McLaughlin, who was Special Agent Dale Cooper on Twin Peaks, Ella Purnell, who recently has become known from Yellow Jackets, Michael Emerson, who played Benjamin Linus on Lost, and Zach Cherry, who plays Dylan on Severance. Toby, what's your excitement levels now that we have a bit more detail about Fallout TV series? It's interesting because, like, Fallout was never really a game that I could sort of uh, really get into. I would played a little bit of 4 and a little bit of 76. Oof. Um, and no I think... Or, or Vegas. No 3 or Vegas. I probably should because I hear good things, but... I think following the success of, you know, a lot of these game TV shows, especially, you know, The Last of Us and, and whatnot, it's definitely piqued my interest a little bit. And then obviously seeing that list of of actors like Walton Goggins and Kyle McLaughlin, yeah, sign me up. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that sort of, it needed that star power, if anything, to mm. sort of get more casual, you know, watchers or, or fans on the product. Um, yeah. I know that there were going to be people who were just like, yep, it's Fallout, sign me up. The fact that it's on, it's in Los Angeles, apart from sort of like the East Coast where most of the, I mean, obviously Vegas and whatnot, but I think like Fallout 4 was in what, Boston, I think. Mm-hmm. So having it much on the West Coast for this one could be cool. But yeah, like cautiously optimistic, I might give it a, a watch yeah. and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned like the cast as a, a draw card because I feel like the names to, to me that, that on like a star power basis, they're not like, oh, it's Chris Pine and like it's, you know, Toby Maguire. Like I'm definitely watching that. It's not that kind of thing. It's more these are res- really respected, often like character actors um, or even like often background or, or side characters or maybe they're like the second or third build um, in the cast, but they're all really, really talented and really good. So to, to see what they can come up with it with a series like Fallout, uh, I'm guessing that there'll be like a younger, um, more kind of unknown protagonist that will be in the world that's kind of ruled by these more established people. And they'll kind of be the avatar for the player, which will probably make it feel a bit more like the games. So that's kind of what I'm expecting. And I've always had really, I wouldn't say high expectations, but I've always thought that a Fallout TV series could work really well if done properly, which I think I've probably talked on podcasts about in the past. But, you know, starting off in the vault and then like kind of moving to the outside world and experiencing the different factions that are out there, like it's almost taking like the best parts of The Walking Dead when it was in its heyday. meeting with um, a series that's been really well received this year called silo on apple tv and like the mystery of like what's what's the vaults all about what's you know vault tech up to what happened when the bombs dropped throw in kind of uh, a story like the last of us where maybe you do have to like transport someone somewhere or there's a reason to go out into the wasteland and i think like using the last of us as a template of okay here's a world that's is ripe for TV and a, a universe that's ripe for different kinds of storytelling. The way that they told those stories, for example, about Bill and uh, Frank in like that kind of uh, separate episode to the rest of the story, 
I, I really hope that the people working on this series were inspired by the success of The Last of Us and have gone in a similar path, not so much the Halo kind of <laughs> Assassin's Creed, like the, 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 the movies that take a good idea and don't quite pull it off. You know, we've seen that many times before. So high hopes over here. You don't really want to sort of stray too far from the path, but then you also want to keep it, you know, somewhat original to get things going. And I think there's there's enough there in, in the Fallout sort of IP and, and franchise to sort of tell maybe a little bit of a different story there, which I think lends itself yeah. to, you know, obviously in a new location with these obviously very talented actors. So I think there's yeah. there's some really good ground there for something slightly different to come out of it but i feel like it's it's going to maintain that very you know familiar old-timey like 1950 yeah. songs on the radio sort of thing that that fallout is is so used to so i think it's going to be fun to see someone walking around with a pip boy on their wrist and you know um collecting bottle caps yep. and things like that so <laughs> I, I can't wait it'll it'll be um it'll be it'll interesting be to see least, how it goes hopefully. yeah absolutely it'll yeah. be definitely very fun so i think um i will probably check it out and, and, and see what it is, uh, what it's like. Mm. Yeah. And it's also not a world where it's contingent on like one key character, like a master chief or, or something where, you know, you need to nail like, Oh, Nathan Drake and who's going to play them. No one really cares about that with fallout. Cause it's all about the world and the way that the, the tone of it is, is conveyed. And do they get the, like, as you said, like, do they get all those things right? Like the music and the Nuka Cola and these little things that make it feel like a, a fallout world. Um, moving on, we've got uh, some molecular division happening over at Sony with 15 to 20% of media molecule staff being laid off in a strategic change at PlayStation's UK studio responsible for games like Little Big Planet and Dreams. We've got the announcement after it was kind of put out there from some of the staff themselves who were laid off, but Media Molecule put out this statement saying, uh, we've made significant strategic changes during the past year, including shifting our focus from dreams to our new project. We have had to make the difficult decision to begin consultation process for team members within certain departments of the studio. This is a tough moment for the individuals impacted and studio overall. Yada, yada, yada. We will continue to support the Dreams community for the foreseeable future. Yada, yada, yada. Basically, they've <laughs> laid off about 20 jobs is what it comes down to. Um, there's some original reporting from GLHF stating that, that they were targeting a headcount of 115 employees. We know they previously had 135. So a bit of a reduction there at Media Molecule. And Tilby, it's got to be a bit of kind of dust settling on moving from Dreams, which is such a specific type of project. I'm not even going to call it a game. <laughs> to maybe going back to what they're known for with the likes of, you know, Tearaway, Little Big Planet. Do you think that, that um, we're going to see, you know, they mentioned their new project. Do you think we're going to see something more similar to what they've done in the past? And we've lost a lot of those staff over the years as they've moved into the kind of dreams type of uh, ecosystem. How do you? What's your reaction to to this kind of news? I, I obviously very sad. Firstly, you know, this is people losing their job, and that's never yep. really fun. Um, having been there myself, I think it, it's a different kind of 
layoff. Obviously, as they've mentioned that they're sort of moving from, I guess, I don't want to say that Dreams has sort of its life cycle has ended, but it's definitely in its sort of like twilight phase where it's, you know, the last sort of year or so of the project before it obviously, I don't want to say gets shut again, shut down, but they're sort of turning the lights off there and going on to something new, whether that is a new tearaway or little big planet, or it is something completely different. It, it doesn't really matter. They're obviously in that sort of transition phase to, to move into something else. So I can understand that they wanted to sort of move people on and, and sort of certain people currently in the, in the dreams project may not have fit for the new one, which obviously sucks, but look, it's always going to be tough. And I think, you know, 20 jobs out of you know, 135, yeah, with 15, 20% of, of their current workforce. It's, it's not, uh, not a small number. It's not an insignificant amount. Like it's all obviously very tough, but I think whether or not this makes, you know, and we've heard all these sort of excuses from a whole bunch of other studios in the past. This makes them more aerodynamic and there's like, so what? much crap that gets spouted whenever there's these layoffs like the, the rhetoric that they they pump out is, yeah. is is almost comical like the way that they try and, and phrase it but yeah and yeah. it's it's as i said it earlier at the start of the show like this is obviously the i guess the countless direct, that's happened countless times this year. countless times and it's the direct sort of like opposite to all of the good stuff that's been happening in the gaming world this year with the release of all of these great games and mm. advancements in new tech and everything it's just like the reverse of that is people are losing their jobs their livelihoods and it's not just a, a contained thing this is happening for a whole bunch of studios big and small so mm-hmm. obviously very tough very yeah distressing but at least look at least media molecule haven't completely just fapped some like pr bullshit to yeah to the nth degree that the other studio did the other week which was terrible and at least they haven't been shut down which you know yes honestly it wouldn't have been shocking if that happened because going from like okay let's let's pull this back a little bit media molecule it's quite sad what's happened to them in some ways because they were one of the most important studios at Sony at a certain point, like little big planet and little big planet two were, I would almost say like system sellers for the PlayStation three, um, for a certain demographic, like they were really big games. Uh, it was a, a very innovative approach to, to gaming, um, for the, and, and very of that time as well, as far as like level building and you've got this mascot, um, character in in Sackboy who was like almost like an unofficial you know mascot for, for PlayStation during that era, and then to you know Tearaway was probably uh, not having the same impact as, as Little Big Planet, but it was also a fun game. It was very creative again. It was uh, probably very important to the PlayStation Vita, and then Dreams happens, and they've been working on that for so long. They've lost a lot of staff that had been there for a long time going back to those little big planet days. I feel like now they're at this point now where Dreams is effectively done and they're moving on to, as they say, their next project and they look around and go, we don't have the staff that we had when we were working on Little Big Planet and Tearaway. We've got all these extra people who were brought in to do these extra 
jobs that aren't necessary under any game that's not Dreams because it's a completely different uh, kettle of fish, something like that. It's a it's a game-making engine, effectively. And now that that's in the past, they kind of ha- don't have their identity in a lot of ways. They certainly don't have the... Um, probably the independence that they had. They, they don't have the 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 rope to go out and be super creative and innovative like they had up until this point because Dreams just wasn't a, a big success and it was such a lengthy project that it certainly cost, I would have to say it cost more money than, than it made. And I, I don't think it, it ended up being what Sony had planned for it as this, you know, kind of uh i mean they, they wanted it to be something that it never became i think so it, it's it's a bit sad to see what it's become there and I, I really hope whatever this next project that they're working on i just want it to be something really cool really fun and something that sells really well to to put some extra uh oomph back into that studio and, and give them some more long-term viability because there's been times where it's felt like what's what's going to happen there are they going to get shut down because we know that sony's not afraid of, of closing down studios speaking of uh playstation the next and main headline for this week is what in crash bandicoot's name is going on at playstation the following news was not widely reported in mainstream games media, which left it to game developer, sorry, gamedeveloper.com, as well as a few other sites, to compile this report as follows. After 34 years with Sony, Connie Booth, the vice president of PlayStation's internal production team, is no longer working at Sony Interactive Entertainment. News of her departure was revealed by God of War and Twisted Metal, Original game director David Jaffe, who claimed Booth's 27-year tenure at PlayStation is over. So why does this matter? Is she just some suit working at PlayStation? Connie Booth actually rose up through the ranks at PlayStation over many years and was involved in production on more than 100 games and nearly all of PlayStation's major franchises. Effectively, anything that was produced in the US. So we're talking Ratchet & Clank, Spider-Man... Last of Us, Uncharted, Ghost of Tsushima. This also marks the third high-profile exit from PlayStation in recent months, including then-SEI head Jim Ryan, who announced his retirement in late September, and Naughty Dog co-president Evan Wells, who left in mid-July. This is kind of where the... The rumors and speculation mm. begin. <laughs> so while David Jaffe hasn't held a role in the PlayStation family for many years, his YouTube video on this topic stated two sources inside the company and two outside had validated the news and a more recent update now has confirmation from PlayStation PR themselves. In a statement to news website Axios, a PlayStation rep said, we're thankful for Connie's numerous contributions to the company and wish her the best in future endeavors. Connie Booth helped drive the success that PlayStation Studios is experiencing today and her passion in fostering an environment where a team's creative vision could fully flourish has left a positive impact on many game developers, end quote. 
So you'll notice her reason for leaving and a lot of the details mentioned by Jaffe were not addressed in PlayStation's statement, including his comments that she and her team were walked out of the building the same way that the former SEI chief exec, Sean Layden, was allegedly forced out of the company in 2019. Since this rumor mill started churning, Jaffe has made comments about Sony devs being unhappy with the move into games as a service, which he said was brought upon by former CEO, or I guess he's retiring CEO, Jim Ryan, as well as frustration over the stalled development or unconfirmed cancellation of The Last of Us multiplayer factions. Commenting on Booth's departure, Jaffe also said, the Sony we all came up with is mostly dead. Keep in mind that while Jaffe is obviously knowledgeable, well-informed, and well-connected at PlayStation, he's also notorious for his hot takes and shooting from the hip. Matt Tilby, what's going on at PlayStation? Your guess is as good as mine, John O'Peck. I think, obviously, you know, a whole bunch of this is speculation and hearsay, mm-hmm. so we can't really, you know, we don't want to Whoops, be jumping yeah. into any sort of, you know, statements or claims that may get us in hot water, you know, reporting on it. But it just sounds so bizarre. I think, you know, to have someone like Connie Booth, like who you said, has worked on pretty much every PlayStation studio title under the sun and has been working their way up the you know, the PlayStation ladder for many years. It, it's just such a, a weird way to sort of depart the company and, and sort of having them say one thing and then obviously being told another, whether or not mm. that thing from Mr. Jaffe is, is true or not, uh, given his sort of like weird way of working things is, is you know, an entirely different kettle of fish. But it, it's interesting because, you know, we can all all see that like the games as a service thing is definitely becoming a bit more prevalent and, and whether or not Jim Ryan really tried to sort of force it down all of the, the throats of, of the, the PlayStation studios, we'd heard a lot of sort of backlash from uh, the PlayStation studios, you know, about that sort of thing. But yeah, it's also very muddy, you know, I'm sure a lot of this, will develop in the, in the coming months. We'll, like, we'll probably hear more about it before the end of the year anyway, but it doesn't sound pretty. And I think there will probably end up being a lot more. He said, she said, I would not be surprised if there was some sort of lawsuit coming um, mm. and whether or not David Jaffe has to sort of state his claims or sort of state the validity of his claims. And, and you know, he said, well, there's two sources inside the company and two outside. Are those two sources inside the company going to be you know, rat it out? Are they going to have to try and confirm their identity? Like, it, it does not paint a very good picture for uh, for PlayStation as a whole. It doesn't paint a picture of stability and happiness to me. No. It's, it's a time where, on paper, everyone should be happy. You know, PlayStation 5 is selling like crazy. It's blasting away, you know, Xbox as far as their main competitor. It's selling really well. They've had games that have sold really well this year spider-man's high selling american release blah 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 blah. she's very much tied into that american side of playstation there's these two sides with japan and america and there i know that there's been kind of conflict between that those two sides and their different ways of doing things probably very similar to nintendo over the years but she's no doubt connie booth being a huge part you know she was there before playstation existed 
so as a business person, she was pulled in to help it grow and she saw it become what it is today. So I understand Jaffe's kind of comment that, you know, the, the PlayStation we know is dead because you look at a company or you look at a sports franchise and over a long period of time, if no one is there from when you were a kid, different owner, different GM, different players, different coach, what's the consistency apart from the uniform, you know, apart from the, the PS logo, what's the PlayStation that we fell in love with when we were kids, you know? So, so it is a, it is a different company in a lot of ways. They're still making great games, but I can see this conflict within that studio existing where we made our bread and butter on Uncharted, God of War, on The Last of Us, you know, these games, these single player narrative experiences. Now Jim Ryan's coming along telling us we have to force everything into that game of a game as a service box and then putting the kibosh on factions, whatever the heck is happening with factions, whether it's cancelled or it's it's indefinitely delayed, it's hard to believe that the game is so bad that it can't see the light of day. And for people who've worked on that or people who are in other studios seeing that happen and wondering, you know, say you work at Santa Monica, are they going to make our next game be game as a service? Because it didn't work out so well for Naughty Dog and they're the teacher's pet. I can just see there being a lot of tension there and a lot of unhappy developers as they're, as we know, being pushed into this direction that um, now we're seeing the fallout, like did the Naughty Dog, uh, what was his name? I just mentioned Evan Wells. Evan Wells, did the co-president leave over um, some tension over factions? Did um, Jim Ryan leave because people weren't happy with the direction he'd been pushing? And was it kind of a backlash to that, despite you know the happy press release that gets put out saying that he's going to spend more time with his kids or whatever it is? Connie Booth, we know they've confirmed she's left and we have reason to believe when PlayStation doesn't correct the rumors, when they don't correct what's being said about factions and they let us simmer on it and they let us speculate, we have no reason to think that there's any, you know, distortion to what's being said. So I, I believe she was fired for whatever reason. We don't know. Is she a scapegoat for the games as a service stuff or was she like resistant to the games as a service stuff? And, Something that hasn't been confirmed is that Jaffe said her team underneath her was also uh, part of the the group that walked out the building that day. So whichever way you put it, whether you believe half of what we read out before or all of it, it's not a picture of, you know, peace and, and functionality and efficiency that we would think PlayStation should be based on, you know, how great... They are seeming to operate as far as the games they put out, as far as how well PlayStation 5s are selling. And uh, yeah, I guess the past five years or so. So I think it's a it's very much a stay tuned and see what comes out. Like you said, there's going to be more coming out in the future. I find it strange that media isn't really reporting on this, but I guess there could be many reasons for that, whether it's um, the difficult to validate nature of such a thing or uh the 
you know, the risk of pissing off PlayStation. And I think that's where a journalist's job is to actually ask these questions and get to the bottom of it and then report on <laughs> yes. it. So hopefully, you know, th- we don't see a ton of that in the games industry, but I'm hoping that someone will be able to come up with something for us to talk about in weeks to come. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, the, the, the fact that no one had really said anything about it is concerning. I, I think people are, are sort of waiting for valid opinions and, and well, not really opinions, valid facts on the, on the matter before they yep. sort of start, you know, broadcasting stuff as potential rumors and, and sort of really getting the rumor mill going. I, I will say that if, if it is a fact that Connie Booth was, was fired and, and the team was fired, like I would not be surprised if Microsoft or Nintendo are smelling blood in the water and Ooh. they want to go, Hey, we want to really do some good stuff for our, you know, our, our single player games. We really want to sort of boost that up and, and sort of keep that sort of thing, um, that sort of strong side of our of our business going and, and sort of really look to bring them on as as part of the team and, and mm. where they sort of sit with that sort of idea. So I think, you know, PlayStation's loss is going to be whoever's whoever picks them up's gain, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> that she's obviously got that experience and, and the team obviously have that experience, you know, ho- however many people of them uh, are in that team. But like, it, it's, a, it's a huge loss, I, I think, for PlayStation yeah. as a whole, regardless of uh, however she was forced out the door. Like, it, it does sound like she's probably been more resistant to the games as a service thing rather than being a scapegoat for it. I think... Uh, get the games as a service sort of idea hasn't really reached its full potential with PlayStation yet. I'd say there's a couple sort of titles or, or franchises that are sort of putting a toe in the water for, for, mm. for games as a service. But yeah, I, I still think there's a long way to go for that. And I think that delay in doing that is probably down to people like Connie Booth and, and her team sort of standing up for, for the, the sort of, as you said, authentic single player you know, story-driven experience. Yeah, no, well said. And oh, I, I feel like PlayStation would have to have some kind of like non-compete uh, NDA, all all those things times a million with someone like her getting let go, the big kind of payout, like we'll give you all this money to leave, but you're not allowed to say a single thing and you're not allowed to go work for Xbox. So yeah, it would we'll, be we'll smart see. to do that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miss Ellie Hart's Carousel of Chaos. So the Carousel of Chaos this week, no games, no uh, 20 questions. We'll give you a rest. We'll give you a week off from that, Tilby. We are going to talk our favorite spooky movies and games, uh, maybe quicker than we would have planned to earlier just because we've run a bit long due to our robust conversation about Spider-Man 2 and PlayStation and and Mario. But um, in the spirit of all things freaky, Tilby, I'm, I might go first. So I, I've I've been a bit of a scaredy cat for the majority of my adult life. I'm, I'm the same. I agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, it's only it's only really the last few years that I've kind of delved into this um, this side of of um, of narrative and and uh, embracing all things scary. And I think Brendan and and maybe even this podcast has played a bit of a role in that because you know Brendan and Ali especially are very much all about the spooky um, movies and, and not so much games for Ali. I think that the games took 
uh, take took things a little bit too too far as far as the scares go. But uh, Brendan loves a good bit of horror, as uh, obviously with uh, you know Resident Evil and Dino Crisis just being a couple of those. But um, for me, in the last kind of twelve months or so, it's been a bit of an education on horror and some of the movies I've enjoyed. Uh, Alien was a big one. The Thing. Very, these very influential films uh, from kind of the 80s, 70s, 80s that have are still really watchable today. I checked out uh, Stephen King's uh, It remake, would you call it? I guess it's the movie version um, instead of the, t- the miniseries. And uh, went been going on a bit of a Stephen King binge lately with some suggestions from Brendan. Uh, but I wanted to end my movie list with uh, Shaun of the Dead, which is a perfect blend of, of horror and comedy. Uh, anything you wanted to shout out this sp- spooky season? I, I think on the movie side of things, Shaun of the Dead is a perfect uh, sort of encapsulation of, you know, a, a perfect blend of comedy and horror for people like myself who are a bit of a sissy, who don't really like going <laughs> full bore into those sorts of things. Obviously, you've got like the scary movie series and that just sort of like riffs on those sorts of horror movie tropes and, and whatnot. But I am definitely more in the camp of like I'm 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 very much the same in terms of like within the last maybe year or so I've definitely been probably more games like horror games rather than horror movies I think because there's obviously a lot of different types of horror and I think for me it, it's more about sort of that I don't want to say existential horror but I think sort of <laughs> looking at like the the paranormal and sort of going to the other side and I I was really excited for um, when the medium came out. You know, it would have been a year or two ago. Obviously, turned out to be an absolute trash heap of a game, but <laughs> the idea was was really compelling. Being able to sort of you know flip to the other side and and sort of have that sort of alter ego or that sort of like opposite personality uh, for yourself to sort of see things, and I think that was really cool. Obviously you know, the last couple of Resident Evil games, seven and eight, where you're going more first person and sort of dealing with a little bit more action, but obviously that sort of really dark, unnerving sort of horror. Um, No spoilers for eight, but uh, when you do find the baby, uh, (laughs) possibly one of the best horror moments in the last maybe five or so years. Um, Absolutely perfect. It's just like that feeling of dread that comes over you like sure, yeah. you know something's going to happen but you don't know what it is and when it does happen mm. it's messed up so i think that sort of horror for me is a lot more compelling rather than just like your simple jump scare like a five nights at freddy's or something where it's yes. like jump scares for the sake of it but having those sorts of horror is 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 something i really enjoy and i think um i i will end by uh, sort of shouting out uh uh, a lady I did a podcast with by the name of Ash Millman, who works over at PlayStation Access in the UK. She loves her horror, um, and she recommended Soma, uh, the indie game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the PS4 or the PS5, but first person, it, yeah, yes, first person deals with that sort of like it's it's all under or it's in in under the sea, I think, in a in a sort of uh, a station there. But it it deals with the sort of exi- those existential crises of of like becoming a robot like robots and humans becoming robots and sort of losing your humanity having those sorts of human parts of you replaced and that sort of type of horror is such a weird and wonderful way of doing it 
I, I feel like I'm rambling on for, for so long because there's so many things I could say about it, but there's yeah. so many different types of horror games <laughs> I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's definitely... So if, if I can talk about my experience with horror games, which probably is what got me into... like opened me up to watching horror movies in the last couple of years because I started to get into horror games when Until Dawn came out and it wasn't even straight away yes. it was like a year or two later when i, I saw it on sale because i'm such a big fan of the for lack of better term the telltale style kind of choose your own adventure video game mm-hmm. where um heavy rain the chronic dream kind of stuff and um super massive is one of the best at that on until dawn had amazing reviews i loved the the look of it and the the gameplay of it and i was like okay i'm gonna give it a shot Hopefully it's not too scary. And uh, I played it and I loved it and I platinumed it. And I'm now a big fan of everything they do, except I have stayed away from kind of the ones that haven't been received quite so well. And I wish they would go back into more of the quarry and until dawn stuff instead of the, um, what's the, 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 the name of the, the dark pictures anthology. The, the dark, yeah. Instead, I, I'm still enjoying those and still play them, but I just, yeah much prefer the quarry and until dawn over those. Uh, but yeah, that, that kind of, um, woke something in me, um, alien isolation. I mentioned before Ooh, how much yeah. I love alien, but alien isolation totally nails that dread that you mentioned and being on that ship. Um, it's, it's basically like playing out the movie in a lot, in a lot of ways. And to do that, when that game came out with the level of AI and, um, the, the intelligence of that AI that they were able to get back then, it really would make me excited, like super hyped if, if they were to, you know, creative assembly that the bread and butter is the total war series. But if they were to stray away from that again, to make like an alien isolation sequel or spiritual successor, that would be a dream come true. Um, or if some other studio was to be given the reins with that kind of thing, because there's a lot of alien games out there as Brendan has noted and, and talked about before, most of them are pretty terrible, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. So that game really nailed it. And then this year alone, Dead Space, RE4, horror has been some of the, the best experiences I've had playing games this year. Um, RE2 for me was my first, like the remake was my first toe dip into <laughs> uh, the Resident Evil series. And even then, it was still like I remember having conversations. I think with Brendan, like, "How scary is it? Like, am, am I going to be?" <laughs> I, I love that game. Like, I think that there's so many. And I don't know exactly what is left over from the original and what was a brand new innovation because I didn't play the, the PlayStation One version. But there's so many cool things in there, and approaches to the game design and approaches to the horror of, you know fleeing from mr x and the way that that particular character is uh serving the the horror of the game as an enemy that you can't defeat he's just always kind of there like anxiety like he almost like represents that dread (laughs) and stress because he's always there and you can't get rid of him and you can run away easily enough but he's always going to come back and he just keeps popping up like i kind of love I don't know if it's meant to represent that, but I kind of love that aspect to it as well. Yeah, definitely. He's 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 like a bad smell. You can't get rid of him, honestly. <laughs> like 
totally. he's he's so annoying in that aspect and i i can understand people probably getting a little bit frustrated it's like why won't he die and then it's just like just go away i'm trying to do things but like yeah i'm trying it's, to solve it's a the puzzle <laughs> yeah like just i'm busy man can't you see i'm a little occupied at this point but i think that's mm. that sort of thing is what made that game so great and so memorable is like You've got to keep yourself on your toes. You know that he might be just like right around the corner, ready to sock you in the face if you get too close. But like, I think the, most of those sort of Resident Evil remakes have been really well received. Obviously, mm-hmm. three three was okay. Like it, it had its moments, oh, uh, it, but yeah. but then four like really sort of stepped it up again. Once again, another you know game of the year contender. But I think what it did for just the the quality of the game and and sort of how it utilized the horror and 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 sort of scare aspects um mm. was was perfect and i think the resident evil games will always be remembered as like horror that perfect mix of horror and action and um obviously maybe like when you get to like 5 and 6 when it's like punching boulders and things like that that's mm. when it gets a little bit over the top and probably past its welcome but you know, the, the first couple have, are, are, to me, that, that that perfect combination. Cool, yeah. And the last thing I'll, I'll throw out there as a game is uh, Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare. That was uh, that was very much from a time that I wasn't into any level of horror. And it's not like it's a terrifying game or something, but it does represent the, uh, the fun that you can have with horror tropes and... Almost like it's almost like the Treehouse of Horrors Simpsons kind of approach to to Halloween and and horror that they that Rockstar threw onto a game and a world that I already loved. So shout out to Undead Nightmare, one of the great DLCs or expansions. Yeah, packs. I think the other like the last one I could probably remember is like the Dead Rising series, just being trapped in a mall like and spending however many hours it is just like running around firing Mega Man bullets at people and slicing zombies up with a katana and a lawnmower and things mm. like that. Like just that sort of weird and wacky side of it always as well is, is a lot of fun too. The week that's yet to come presented by Dash Water. Coming up this week, again, I don't know if there's a new more than hentai, but check it out anyway because Brendan's always bringing the goods uh, with that podcast. Over in the film space, I have to do a correction or I guess a follow-up from last week when I predicted that Five Nights at Freddy's could be one of the highest grossing uh, <laughs> play, uh, no, video game adaptations of all time. It's currently sitting at 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't know what the box office translation is, but it's not looking good. So I will walk that back Swing and a, miss. <laughs> a little bit. If if it had been, na- if they had nailed it, I'm sure then we might not need to talk about that at all, but uh, there it is. Um, we've also got, there's something in the barn coming out, which looks like a Christmas themed horror comedy. Uh, Bring him to me is coming out. Then on TV, somehow none of this stuff came up when I did this search last week, but I will say we missed that there's new episodes of Rick and Morty. There's new episodes of Upload, new episodes of Big Mouth, all happening uh, in the past week, and we missed it completely. We're also getting uh, season two of Invincible this week, so that is definitely one I am excited for. Sick. I've been looking forward to that. I'm really excited. And uh, Are we hosting this podcast next week, or is Brendan back? I can't remember. We'll we'll have a hostile takeover if we aren't, but yeah, just so we can talk about Invincible and Omni Man popping up in Mortal Kombat One and all mm. of that sort of goodness. But yeah, very excited. 
Yep. We've also got WWE Crown Jewel for the wrestling fans out there. Over in the game space, we've got Star Ocean, the second story R, My Time at Sandrock, The Talos Principle 2, Thirsty Suitors, Robocop Rogue City, Fashion Dreamer, and Warrior Wear Move It. All coming out between now and the next seven days. Anything I've mentioned here strike your fancy as uh, something people should uh, should check out. I do love a good WarriorWare game. I hear that it's probably geared more towards sort of like the fitness side of things, but uh, any any sort of opportunity for weird and wacky mini games is always appreciated. I did see uh, a bunch of people playing the RoboCop game. I think it's like an oh. early access or like a beta, um, a bunch of streamers, and it looks as like messed up and gory and unnecessarily violent as the original movies, which is a lot of fun. So uh, I'm excited to see how that one plays out. I've heard okay things, but uh, yeah, is we'll see. Is it a first-person shooter? Yes, it is. I remember the trailer for this now, and um, yeah, hopefully it's uh, well-received because that could be a lot of fun and an, a, a nice surprise this year that we weren't <laughs> <Yeah>. expecting. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Invincibles. If that's coming out, then definitely going to be checking that one out. But uh, for now, thanks as always to our lovely, lovely, lovely friends over at Audio Technica. Check them out for the very best in audio gear. Uh, Brendan is still in Europe, which we probably should have mentioned up the top. (laughs) If you've been paying attention, you know the deal. Uh, You're stuck with me and Tilby for now. But uh, will we be back next week? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. You'll have to tune in just to find out whether Brendan got held up at customs or whether he decided to extend his trip or whether we just are disorganized and don't know when he's coming back. Uh, but you can catch myself at Johnny himself. You can find Matt at It's Tilby. And as always, dear listeners, much love. And stay hungry. Stay spooky. We'll see you around.